the title for this evening's talk is Commitment. Last year, I was asked by a couple of yogis who were getting married to officiate at the wedding. Actually, I cannot legally marry anybody, but I gave like a Dharma talk at the wedding. And I thought that was very appropriate because uh, they had met the first date they ever had was at one of my retreats. So. And in that talk, I pointed out that commi commitment usually is taken to mean commitment in time. That is to say that the relationship will last in time, like till death has to part. And like, um, it will not change, like, for better or for worse. And then I added, in this light, taking commitment as something in time, it really has the flavor, it smacks of sort of imprisonment, kind of serving time. Looked around the hall, all these very well-dressed people and their eyebrows, eyebrows were raised and their jaws were <laughs> dropping. <laughs> and I continue to say, um, this sort of commitment, in fact, as a, a contract in time, invites neglect, because it invites taking the relationship for granted, taking the partner for granted. It's all settled. You don't have to do anything. It guarantees that the partner, the marriage, becomes a permanent fixture. I finally got a sigh of relief around the hall when I said, however, that's not the only way to take commitment. It is also possible to understand commitment as something that's out of time, something that is, has nothing to do with duration, but has to do with the, what happens moment to moment. What happens in the freshness of the moment. And uh, I, I read a little poem by Rumi, this sort of thing you do in weddings, I suppose. And it's very appropriate. In fact, it just happens that the mother of the bride had also contributed to the ceremony and read a poem. And it was exactly this very same poem. She had a chance. And the poem goes like this. The minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you, not knowing how blind that was. Lovers don't finally meet somewhere. They are in each other all along. And I, of course, read this my way. I, all along I read in, in the sense that 
at each moment. A commitment, a relationship, a love that's renewed. So, my intention tonight is to contrast these two ways of looking at commitment. In relationship to partners, in relationship to children. Commitment in time, commitment out of time. When, when the commitment is primarily, if not exclusively, in time, say in the case of, of a marriage, neglecting the moment, what is the intention behind this? Look closely and you will see, I believe, as I can see, an intention to find protection from the impermanence of things. What, of course, in the Buddhist language is called anicca. Commitment that gives us some faint hope that we can defeat impermanence. That we can refute impermanence. Hold on to something that, although by nature is impermanent, but we can make it fix. And, and sometimes you hear people saying, my previous relationship didn't work out, but this one is going to last. You can hear them say, my parents' uh, marriage broke. But mine is, is going to be different. And even sometimes, you may know situations like this, curiously enough, this person who, who really holds on to marriage as a, a very important fixed feature in their lives yet engage in extramarital affairs without any concern about the impermanence of those. So we, we land our mind onto something, this I'm going to make into something permanent. It's not that we're going to defeat all impermanence, but at least something we can hang on to. Now, the same sort of dilemma comes up in our relationship with children. Is this relationship a time commitment, primarily, and a neglect of the now, or vice versa? Are we resigned to enroll ourselves in the role of parents for a certain duration, which is usually much longer than we ever suspected. I can speak for myself too. And in doing that, are we overlooking the moment, the changes that occur, 
Do we hide behind rules and rigidity so that change can be at least kept hidden? Do we lecture rather than listen so that the rules will not be affected by the change in conditions? Do we in fact present our children's growth so that perhaps if they stop growing we can stop an each. We can stop impermanence. I think I was already in my 40s and I was visiting my mother who then was in her 80s. And, and she was so keen in showing me the letters that I wrote to her when I was, what, four, five, six. And, you know, at the time I couldn't do it. I, I know it was a nasty thing, but, but I, I just couldn't do it because, I mean, she was telling me also with that, that that's, that's a little boy, the golden boy, she used that expression, <laughs> that was her son. And, and, and maybe I could, uh, what, <laughs> I'm not going to put words in her mouth. And uh, a lovely woman, sure, of course. And, and I, I suppose I, I ought to have gone and played along with her, but, but it was hard for me because I didn't want to be put back there. Now, again, let's look at this great effort to keep things from changing, to refute anicca, to refute the flow of things, to refute impermanence. What's the intention behind this? And by the way, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I, I have to develop sort of a caricature. None of us is that extreme. But still, it, it helps me make a point. And then there is some of this in, in all of us, to some extent. There's a tendency to this in all of us. And so what's this tendency that moves us in the direction of of stopping change, to, of preserving and fix situations. We you know, land on a certain situation, marriage, relationship with my children, whatever, I want that to stay put. Other things we may allow to change. And other times there may be something else, of course. And, and if we look hard, and if we look hard as this develops in our inner life. I believe we will find in every case that what's really at stake there is not so much to hold this or that in place, but to preserve the I, to preserve the self, to make the self, myself, immutable. Ultimately, to defeat, defeat death. Although we don't see it that way. Like death is just something we read about. 
And, and the teachings are very clear, and I'm sure you all know about this, that when grasping what I want, the purpose of that is to give birth to the eye. And as long as I can hold on to that, the eye seems to be secure. The moment things start moving, the eye needs to find something else to hold on to, to attach itself to, to grasp. Even more directly, the eye is given birth by attachment to roles, not just to this is what I like, this is what I want, but also this is the role I assume. That immediately, automatically creates oh yeah. Helps fashioning who I am. And safeguards the eye from ebbing away, from vanishing. Of course, it's totally unreal. Children grow, relationships change, and if I attach my eye to this or that relationship with this or that person, I'm in for trouble. Just attaching my eye to my job. It's another form. Or my political beliefs or whatever. It's bound to change in this changing world. So, just to, to bring some more metaphors here for this uh, enormous interest in holding things fixed. I, I remember that uh, some decades ago, and maybe it's back in fashion, somebody started the fashion of freezing their body. It's called cryonics, remember? The idea is that right before you die, or even immediately after you die, if you miss the event, or maybe when you're quite sure that you're going to die inevitably, and of course if you have piles of money, then you hire these companies, and I'm sure they're there still, who are willing for a fee to freeze your body and guarantee that they'll keep, keep it frozen in liquid air until, I don't know, until the money runs, runs out. You know, and with the stock market as it is, the money seems to be going up. And, of course, the idea is that maybe by then somebody finds a cure for cancer Maybe even a cure for death, you know. And, and not only that, but a cure for old age. So, so you can revive you and make you young again. And, and there you are. Hey, this is the ultimate attempt to defeat Nietzsche. And, and so much of our thinking is on the assumption of the constancy of who we are. Even 
every time that we make a plan for the future, in our plan, everything changes, you know, in five years, ten years, but this guy here, no, we, we see it as frozen. There's a, a certain cryonic mentality. Uh, of course, rationally, we will agree, oh yes, of course, I'll be older, but, but in the moment, we picture the situation as if we haven't changed, because that's really the most common desire. Not the wisest desire, but the most common desire. And, and although this frozen body is kind of a mockery of things, but still, you know, any Sure, thousands, if not tens of thousands of bodies are lying there in, in vaults, in labs, or banks, even. I don't know where they keep these bodies. But, you know, we, we cultivate this myth of, of living happily ever after, for instance. Yes, but we give, it's just a given. I, I went to, to one of my grandchildren's school few months ago, and they were having some kind of um, um, festival sorts, and they had some posters up there, and one was a story of the lion and the giraffe. They were, they were playing in the jungle, and they, were, they made friends in the jungle. And then, the last uh, square is and then they went to the zoo and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> and yeah, it's a fixed place. If things don't change, yeah, and you can live happily ever after. And um, in a couple of weeks, uh, our neighbors up in Rheinberg are, are having a celebration. As they said in the invitation, they invited us. Ten years of wedded bliss. That's really something. <laughs> <laughs> and see, in our mind, we cultivate this fiction, this cryonic fiction. That's all, all, all it can be. That kind of a denial of And look, in, in, our, in our sittings, we we, d we cannot fabricate that, but we certainly work for that. You know, try to get the back to the, to the experience we had uh, last time, or, or, or if we hear noise and, and, and sound, I meant to say, we hear sound and something that we really like, it's very pleasing, we grab with it, with all our might. And we're very disappointed when it changes. So, this, this attempt to make things fix is very strong. But of course, in the sittings too, we discover the flip side of this, which is the willingness to be with what is, to be with what changes, to let that sound go to let that moment of joy or, or, or half an hour of joy or whatever it is 
let it finish when it finishes. And so we discover some wisdom. So it's not that wisdom is out of reach, and quite the contrary, that's exactly my point. My point is that there is another way of, of practicing commitment, which is commitment to the truth of things. To the truth of things. Not to a fixed idea, but what actually happens. Commitment to what is happening all along. A commitment to be with our partner, with our child, with our friend, not with the thought, oh, this is the way he is, this is the way she is. You know, even before connecting with them, we assign these properties to the person, to the child or grown-up. Again, we freeze them in our mind. Just, just a willingness to be open with what the person offers to us, which is so much what we practice when we sit by ourselves and we extend that willingness to ourselves. Let me see what's going on here and now. And then again, the next moment, and the next moment. Being present with the other as we can be present with ourselves. And of course here I, I need to add some of the wisdom I picked up this morning in the parenting discussion group where it was made very clear that we also need time out and we cannot expect to be totally present either with others or even with ourselves all the time. Of course not. This moment-to-moment experience can be suspended at times, of course with anybody that we have a relationship with. There are times when we are not open to interact. Something else is going on in the other person, in ourselves. But the important thing is, do we have those moments of connection? Of connection with the other person, with the child, as they really are? outside of the whole structure that has tended to fix things in one way or another way. And which, I repeat, has tended to do that sometimes at the instigation of the I, of our I-making activities, of our I-making tendencies. 
just to be watchful of that particular protagonist in the dance. Just to look at the truth of things and to remember that the teachings are very, very clear in telling us that in order to see truth, we have, we cannot look at reality through the prism of I, me, mine. We've got to look at reality without that distortion. It's an insidious distortion, right? I know it. I know it, of course. We all, we all know it. Some, very often, others, infrequently, but still, we run into it, sometimes very surprisingly. And the beauty when we run into it is that we can recognize it. Say, hi, there it goes. The problem is when we think that all oh, this is the way things ought to be, and we are committed to this, to this or to that, because that's what needs to be done, and that's the way one lives one's life. And... Uh, and we don't see who's whispering in our, in our ear. Now my plea for, for an unfrozen way of dealing with relationships and particularly with children doesn't in any way refer to not disciplining. Of course. There's rules of discipline that are necessary, important. It's just, just, just to make sure that discipline doesn't go through a, an exchange of a frozen eye of myself and the frozen eye, the frozen ego of my child. Then we're in trouble. It's a very common experience. I think I've heard comments about this before. Uh, yes, I did, and uh, in the parental discussion group again, I think yesterday. And it's certainly my experience that children function very differently when the parents are not around. Us and grandparents have the privilege of being part of that. And it's amazing, it's really amazing, how certain contest that tends to develop between parent and child. And I can see that sometimes happening when I visit my three children with their children. But their children come to, to our home with other parents, that's a critical factor, and they are different altogether, different altogether. And, you know, there's, there's no disciplinary problem that I can see, really. They, they, they find solutions for things themselves, amazingly. 
they're not stuck in the places where they were assigned. So, um, flexibility here for defrosting. It's a um, byword, I think. Um, communicating through silence is a great tool for this. We know it because it's, it, it, I mean, in, in the practice, that's exactly what we use. It is the silence of our mind helped, of course, by the silence of this hall. Although a little, little sounds of the children are there, they don't interfere with that really, if we can cultivate our inner silence. But still, outer silence helps. And we create silence so that things can emerge. And a truth can emerge without us falling into the habitual pathways of thought. Not that there's anything wrong with thought, but it, it has gotten used too much. So it doesn't have the freshness of the moment. It's generally as the flavor of the past. Uh, we figured this out before. That's what I believe in, kind of, without re-examination. So contact with the moment, commitment to the moment, requires a freshness, and the freshness can certainly come out of sight. The truth certainly comes out of silence. And, of course, there are such moments, too, in relationship with others, like loving couples, and can have this very deep connection just in silence. And, of course, with children. I've seen in this couple of days so many children being just held by the parents. I suppose it was a parent or some adult. And in this being held in silence, nothing has to be changed. Maybe the, the, the child was crying a moment ago. Maybe he was very happy a moment ago. Comes and and embraces someone. And for me, with my grandchildren, for instance, are the, the real moments of knowing each other. Knowing each other. The real way of saying, I'm committed to you. May all beings see attachment for what it is. May all beings be committed to the truth of things.
May all beings understand that they are in each other all along. Couple of minutes in silence together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.